Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Owned early and ad-free. Find Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Smart. Less. It's an unusually warm spring night in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's 1997, and we're at the bar of the Radisson Hotel, just a few cicada hops away from LSU and the Mississippi River. Inside, Eddie DeBartolo Jr., a real estate developer from Ohio, is meeting with a man they call the Cajun King, the former governor of Louisiana, Edwin Edwards. Eddie knows the governor through his father, Edward Sr., who died a few years ago. But before he passed, Eddie's old man and the governor got along real well. The two men hunted ducks together, went to football games, and bonded over how they had both grown up with nothing. Self-made guys who pulled themselves up by their bayou bootstraps and became extremely successful. In fact, Ed Sr. made so much money building shopping centers that he could afford to give his 33-year-old namesake the most extravagant gift imaginable, a football team. That's right, Eddie Jr. may not have been the tough, disciplined businessman his dad was, but he still ended up running the mighty San Francisco 49ers. And the funny thing is, he's pretty good at it. I mean, come on, they've won five Super Bowls. So Eddie Jr. and the four-term governor are just catching up on old times, talking football and stuff. The young whippersnapper and his genteel southern uncle of sorts. That's what you would think, but this meeting at the Radisson is a bit light on southern hospitality. A waitress approaches the two men. Now what can I get for y'all? Eddie Jr. orders a drink and the governor orders an iced tea. And the second the waitress leaves, the governor slides a folded piece of paper across the table. Eddie opens it. Written on the paper is just one thing, a number, $400,000. The governor looks at Eddie Jr. This has to be taken care of by next week or there is going to be a serious problem with your license. But let's back up. That license he's talking about, it's for a riverboat casino. Those fun places made for people who walk into a casino and think, geez, this isn't depressing enough. I sure wish I was also seasick. The state of Louisiana has one casino license left to give out. And Eddie Jr. just found out that Edwin Edwards, the former governor of Louisiana and a friend of his father's, is going to charge him 400 grand to get it. Less than a week later, Eddie Jr. hands the former governor a briefcase of cash at the San Francisco airport. Edwin stuffs the crisp bills into a money vest, gets back on the plane, and the next day the Louisiana Gaming Board of Control votes unanimously to hand over the last riverboat license to DeBartolo. Go figure. That initial meeting at the hotel bar lasted only 43 minutes. It's probably not the most illegal thing ever done in a Radisson, but in less time than it takes to prepare a proper Louisiana crawfish boil, the lives of these two men are changed forever. Eddie Jr. never did get that license, and the governor, well, let's just say I hope they serve iced tea in prison. This week on OWN, it's a family affair. The story of a son who inherited a legendary NFL franchise as a gift from his father, got himself into some trouble, and then had to begrudgingly give it up to his sister 
coming up after the break. You're listening to Owned from Smartless and Campside Media. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back to OWN. I'm Rex Chapman. I'm Nicole Boyce, uh, writer, producer, big fan of the in and out at Fisherman's Wharf. Really? Yeah, because we're talking San Francisco today. Oh, I love sure. the Bay Area. I do, too. I love it. You're not a Bay Area girl, though, are no, you? No, I'm from Los You're Angeles. So, so as a Dodgers fan, thank God we're not talking San Francisco Giants today. What do you guys think, though, you SoCal people think yeah. of the NoCal people? Are you guys better well, than them? Well, you can't or? say NoCal. You can't? Yeah. Why? It's illegal. They'll shoot you. Oh, really? Someone will. Yeah, I hear them outside. <laughs> They're coming. Okay, we got to move on. Ah, right. Today we're talking the DeBartolos, San Francisco 49ers. He, he was sort of a sexy owner back in the day. Kind of just had the whole charisma thing going. He did. You you might. Well, we will get into it. Okay. I I don't know if I would agree on the sexiness. All right. All but right. we can decide on the sexiness. <laughs> As we do every episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so first this starts, as it almost always does, with the father, mm. Edward DeBarlow Sr. He's an Ohio businessman. He got rich basically inventing malls after World War II. Well which done. Is a good thing to invent. Yeah, well done, senior. <laughs> yes. Um, basically, like, after the war, everyone moved to the suburbs, and he was like, well, we should put shopping there for them. Whoa. So, that's a good idea. Yeah. He has alleged mob ties, uh, hard alleged, um, <laughs> but that was always kind of a thing that plagued him. And so, buying a sports team was kind of, it seemed to be like his way of being like, this is how I can make myself legit, you know? Wasn't everybody in the mob back in the day a little kind bit? Of, he is Italian, so that would <laughs> so might just be, sense. that could have just been a coincidence. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, so basically he buys the San Francisco 49ers, back then a uh, kind of a flailing team, for his 31-year-old son. A beautiful gift. What a nice guy. Eddie DeBartolo Jr. Okay. Let me tell you about Eddie. Well, he's known as the prince because his dad is, you know, super rich. He okay. basically gets handed this gift. Sounding sexier by the minute, <laughs> the prince. He's known as the godfather of the 49ers uh-huh. because, again, Italian. <laughs> and <laughs> because he also brought this, like, family approach to ownership mm-hmm. that gets applauded. We'll get more into the, yeah. the bad stuff, but that is some of the good stuff. He's really treated his players like family. That's big. They won five Super Bowls in 14 years, which is a record for an owner. Oh, yeah. I remember those days. Led by uh, Joe Montano, uh-huh. one of the coolest of players. In Jerry NFL. Rice. Yes, yes, exactly. 
The 49ers become the envy of basically oh, yeah. all the players, uh-huh. probably, I mean, in any league ever. But players wanted to go there and play. Yes, yeah. because here's a quote. Uh, Team members and their families were flown to Hawaii for vacations. <sighs> Rolex watches showed up on players' pillows, and a good move on the gridiron could result in a surprise pile of cash in a locker. Think about that, though. That's in the 80s that was going on. I mean, if if you told me that was happening now with mm-hmm. billionaire owners, I'd be like, yeah, of course it is. Right. But yeah, in yeah. the 80s? He's like spending money That's on his insane. players, That's which amazing. is like and like kind of treating them like players and not just, you know, like a like lines on a yeah, on a sheet yeah, right. or like, like a number product that you own, you know, piece like of that? meat. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, according to some sources, he is the reason the NFL has a salary cap because he was spending also so much on players as well. Which is unique because he, and this is a pro, he used his own money versus like the cities. So you have to applaud it there. But right. he was like spending a ton of, I guess, his family's mm, cash. Mm. Um, he's like using them as his personal piggy bank. He was also spending money on like sports writers too. He what? would pay, there's a quote, uh, sports writers tell stories of finding their motel costs on the road paid for and downing $175 a shot glasses of vintage <laughs> brandy, courtesy of the 49ers owner. So he's just like throwing out money like everywhere. He's it's trying crazy. to buy everybody. And um, is getting results. He's like creating a really good... <laughs> Like buying people's works. Yeah. Yeah. Spending money. But and like doing it like in a really friendly way, I guess, uh, as well. Or like people yeah, uh, really like to remember. Yeah. I mean, you're waking up piles of cash being handed <laughs> to you. It's kind of, you know, yeah, kind of a not, good thing. Not, not a negative. Um, but the NFL kind of sours on him a little bit because he kind of gets greedy because mm. he's it kind of makes sense you know you're given a team by your father and then you're like but I want something that's my own kind right. of thing he starts to expand outside of football and like go into other industries like what uh like gambling ooh which was it that's a no no can you imagine <laughs> if is... they let gambling into sports it would be crazy. That would be the end of sports, right? It would right? be so bad. No way. So he's flying too close to the sun and, exactly. and got involved with gambling. He's the Italian Icarus. <laughs> exactly. Um, and this kind of all culminates in this big extortion scandal with the Louisiana governor, uh, Edwin Edwards, uh, okay. in the late 90s. There's a corruption case where basically the governor— extorted DeBartolo because DeBartolo wanted a rearboat casino license and he doesn't tell the government that he was extorted and the NFL bar him from active control of the 49ers for a year they fine him as well slap on the wrist yeah not that not for the time but yeah 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 basically right. yeah 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 um yeah and again this is like 1998 um so he could go back to the team technically after a year but he gets in a big debacle with mm. his estranged sister Denise DeBartolo York they get in a big kind of family squabble over the 49ers family shit it gets pretty ugly as Ugh. I said estranged uh but basically they come up with a little barter Denise gets all of the 49ers and then he gets like some of the other family uh, wow. businesses whatever because they just own a ton of stuff okay if, as long as he's happy it, <laughs> it basically, he is happy because uh, actually in 2020, President Donald Trump granted him a presidential pardon for the oh, stuff. Oh, well, good. So basically <laughs> now Denise 
is running the team as of like the early 2000s okay. with her husband, a physician, the luckiest physician in the world, John York. <laughs> um, real, real step up there uh, career-wise. Coming up. And they named their son, Jed York, okay. the current CEO. He gets named in uh, 2008. Do you know any Jeds? Just, no, I was going to say Bush, but yeah, that's I Jed. Only know Jed. I only know Jed Clampett. Jed Clampett? You don't know Jed Clampett, Who's, do you? What is that? You don't know Jed Clampett. Is that Ellie like Mae Clampett. Butter brand or something? These are the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Jed Clampett's the old man's name. I don't know What's any it? Jeds. Yeah. None. None. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jed, Jed York. York, current owner, C- okay. or current CEO of the San Francisco 49ers. And wow. uh, some late breaking news, but the 49ers Enterprises completed a full takeover of Leeds United. What? On June 9th, 2023. So soccer slash football is sort of taking over also. Yes, exactly. Good grief. Everybody owns a soccer team now. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> um, but in short, that is the DeBartolo family tree. I'm sure there is actually another sibling, but I don't know what they're doing. And it's none of my business. <laughs> but we're going to get more into the DeBarlos with two great guests. We have a great ooh, interview ooh. coming up. Michael Cruz Kane, writer, go. comedian. Andrew McGarry, yes. a defector guy, sports columnist with SF Gate. Uh, so a big San Francisco episode. Let's get to it. Let's do it. Time for a break. We'll be right back. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Michael Cruz Kane is a writer, comedian, and actor known for many things, including his one-man show, Sorry for Your Loss. Drew McGarry is a writer and co-founder of Defector. He is also a columnist with SF Gate and a host of the Distraction Podcast. We're talking about all things 49ers today, but let's start big picture. What's your relationship to the 49ers, fellas? Are you guys fans, Drew? One of my day jobs is with SF Gate, and so I have to cover the 49ers, particularly whenever they fuck up. Can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> of no. course. Oh, my God. Okay. So yes. whenever, whenever the Niners fuck up, and it's usually either <laughs> Kyle Shanahan uh, calls a horrible play or Jed York does something evil, well, then they're like, ah, oh, Drew, you're on this, and then I have to get on it. And then I, over at Defector, my general, you know, my general purview is the NFL. So, you know, I'm writing about the Niners a lot. I watch them a lot. Am I a fan? No. But I, I, I take keen interest in them, and I know their ins and outs. Forced against your will to talk about them. Perfect. Do you root for in, them? Uh, if they're playing the Packers, yes. Otherwise, no. <laughs> okay. I'm a Vikings fan. So. Oh, interesting. Already there are people listening to this podcast like, why the fuck do you have a Vikings fan on? Talk about the Niners. <laughs> <That's> bullshit. 
<laughs> Michael, what about you, man? Uh, I am a rabid 49ers fan because oh, thank God. I, <laughs> I, I came of age... Came of age. People still say that. Am I writing a yes, an old novel? They do. <laughs> I came of age at the at Joe Montana <laughs> at the height of his career. When I was in school, I was um, abused by every kind of person. I was like the absolute lowest rung on the totem pole. Just like kids who were nerds were kicking the shit out of me. And so, in an effort to try and like get into something that was cool, I was like, "What about football?" And so, I just picked the team that was the best team at the time not knowing how horrific it would get soon thereafter, but I've stuck with them for many, many years and continue to root for them in spite of whatever foibles they may have. They were the cool team. I remember in the 80s, you know, yeah, I was 80s, a high, 80s, yeah. uh, high schooler, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, and Eddie DeBartolo had some swag. It was a time. You know, what kind of franchise has the 49ers been in general, Drew? Well, as Michael said, back in the 80s and 90s, they were essentially the gold standard. Eddie DeBartolo owned them. Carmen Policy was their legendary Carmen GM. Carmen Policy. I forgot about that guy. They won four Super Bowls with Bill Walsh and Joe Montana at the helm. And, of course, they won uh, one Super Bowl uh, with Steve Young as their quarterback. So they were the gold standard for a long time. And then they had a pretty long fallow period. In the early 2000s, they ran through a shitload of just Disposable coaches like Mike Singletary, Mike Nolan, mm -hmm. uh, Jim Tomsula, stuff like that. They only really got back to prominence when Jim Harbaugh was uh, hired as their head coach. Took him to the Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then Harbaugh had a falling out with the GM, Trent Baalke, and with Jed York, who was the owner after DeBartolo got ousted. And we can talk about that. Uh, and then they, again, were in a bit of a, a low period until Kyle Shanahan was hired and they are now essentially a little fiefdom down in Santa Clara where uh, Kyle Shanahan is essentially essentially runs everything. John Lynch is the general manager. But he's a figurehead. Kyle Shanahan runs that entire operation wow. and has done pretty goddamn well. For a guy who has no quarterback, making the NFC title game as many times as Kyle has in the past few years is, is a rather impressive thing. And I, I should add, when you say having no quarterback, like really, truly, they ended last season with no quarterback right like at the yeah oh my god it was the worst television event it was horrific it's like you've waited the whole season for the Niners <laughs> to get to this point to play the Eagles and then ev literally everyone is so injured they cannot throw the football at all <laughs> yeah they couldn't feel the quarterback to the point where first of all the game itself the second half was like watching a preseason game it was fucking terrible but then it was it was so unwatchable that the NFL this offseason reinstate a rule that allowed teams to dress three quarterbacks and have them active for every game <laughs> so that that would never happen again. And it's like, you know, it sounds cynical, but if you had to watch that game, even if you weren't a fan like me, it was, it, it was a good idea to have like a, a functional quarterback because they ended yeah. that game with Brock Purdy who had badly, badly injured his elbow and really couldn't throw the ball more than five yards downfield. And that is not fun to watch. Mm -hmm. It was awful. It was awful. I mean, it'd be like watching an NBA game where one team just shoots with their off hand the whole night. It was terrible to watch. Like, they they literally could not throw the ball. It would have been <laughs> better off if at halftime they had held a contest among the fans to pick the best quarterback <laughs> and then put that guy in. <laughs> they could have they could really quick trial <laughs> play quarterback because right. Kyle has an arm. Like he, there was an old viral video of him throwing 
like from the roof of one building across the street to another. He's got cannons. So like, I would have been like, okay, if Kyle goes out, he can throw the ball, but also I might see him get his shit ruined and that would be fun. <laughs> so we're talking, you know, the whole DeBartolo family, the York family, this kind of dynasty of owners. I think we're going to start with a classic Eddie, Eddie D, uh, as he's known by the fans. You guys have been talking about the 49ers being pretty successful. How much of that do we owe to Eddie's legacy? What was he like as a owner of the team? Well, he was, I mean, he was the gold standard mostly because he hired good people. Policy, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh drafted Joe Montana, uh, I believe in the third round when he was not like that valued of a prospect, not unlike the guy who would end up usurping him as the greatest quarterback of all time. They spent money freely. Um, they were the kind of place that treated their players well to the point where free agents usually wanted to go play for them, not only because they were it was a good idea for carpet bagging, you'd win a ring that way, Deion Sanders did, and he would do it again for the Cowboys. But also they were just, it's not unlike the New York Giants now where the league office was very, very high on them and thought uh, a great deal of them, which is hilarious given... <laughs> how DeBartolo was eventually ousted from the right. NFL. Mm. But, you know, at the time, they were the best old boys club teams, to the point where uh, when they won one Super Bowl, they offered a Super Bowl ring to Chris Berman of ESPN. And Chris Berman accepted it because <laughs> Chris Berman is a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say that when, when I was pretty young, I feel, during the, like, Eddie's reign, so I didn't really have a sense of like ownership at that time. You know what I mean? I wasn't a fan. Mm. I was a kid, but I do know that that was when all the winning happened. So <laughs> I, right. I very much miss that. Well, also it was pre-luxury stadiums, you know, so you could be a first class organization and still play in a stadium like Candlestick that was a complete and utter shithole. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really matter that much. There wasn't as much of an emphasis on facilities, particularly stadiums and particularly practice facilities that the way there is now with teams like Dallas, particularly Dallas, because Dallas's practice facility is almost as expensive and fancy as their stadium is. Wow. Eddie brought in this sort of team family approach to treating the players well. What did that look like and what were they treated like before? Well, I mean, if you go back in NFL history, you're talking about a league where the players had to have day jobs, you know, mm -hmm. like guys on the title teams in Baltimore for the Baltimore Colts, you know, football was not their only job, right. you know, in the 1950s and the 1960s. And so this was before Pete Rozelle became commissioner of the league and, and the Super Bowl was invented and it became, and Monday Night Football was invented and it became this cash cow. So mm -hmm. the idea that a team would shell out a lot of money for free agents, particularly back in the 90s when free agency became as big as it became with right. Reggie White becoming a free agent and all that. The teams were willing to go there. I think it was really just them seizing an opportunity when the rest of the league just hadn't woken up to the, the notion yet. It was really just them just doing basic, obvious shit before everyone else decided, oh yeah, we should do that. <laughs> and they had the year of the right people. Berman, Roselle, Paul Tagliabue, et cetera, right. et cetera. They knew the right people. They knew exactly whose uh, elbows they needed to rub. So, Michael, you're a kid at this time, and he's known, as we said, the godfather of the 49ers. So you had no concept of him, like, as a owner at all. You're just like, your team is just winning, and you're, like, just happy to be on board. What, what you did know that kind of, like, uh, reverberated <laughs> throughout the franchise and its fans was that, uh, as Drew was saying, it seemed like people liked 
playing there. And like the players would, would talk about there being a family mm-hmm. approach. They would talk about him being the godfather of the team. And that resonated like you saw it on the field. It seemed like the guys had a ton of fun. And that also obviously comes from guys like Joe Montana, who make everything seem so fucking awesome all the time, even while you and 10 of your buddies are getting concussed out of your mind. It, it has a, a later problem. It, it had a feeling of being like that. They really loved playing together and the players seem to credit that to him. So, I mean, who am I to deny them? This is also before the time when owners profiles in general were high. Like this was before every primetime right. game had a gratuitous Luxury box shot of fucking right. Jerry Jones clapping <laughs> and slapping backs with, you know, Meek Mill, whatever the fuck. Like that, <laughs> that is, you know, that I'm so used to that now. Right. And it's annoying, but that was not the case in the 80s and mm. 90s. So you really only heard about an owner if, like, they got a beer with John Madden before the game and John was like, well, I had a beer with John. We ate a bar. It was a good time. This year's the beer. And he'd circle in the telestrator and all that shit. Well, Michael, you said you got bullied and beat up as a kid and all that, but then you became a Niners fan and those guys won five fucking Super Bowls in the 80s and 90s. What was that like being a fan during that Well, time? I'll tell you, it didn't help the bullying as much as I had hoped it would. <laughs> like when a kid's putting his sneaker in your mouth, you can't be like, no, no, guys, I'm a fan of the 49ers. Like the Niners. <laughs> it was in He's no... Like, oh, was, my bad, man. So oh, sorry. Oh, jeez. Sorry, pal. Oh, hey, saggy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that didn't help. It, did, it was nice to be able to go home and then like whatever, you know, I had sort of like had a total fraudulent fandom that was born only out of the fact that the team was good, <laughs> but I became, it became something that I was absolutely riveted by. So it was a refuge from the rest of my entire life. You also, you stuck with them while they ate ass too. Oh, so yeah, you yeah. Know <laughs> Believe me, I watched all those Elvis Gerbach, Ken Dorsey, Tim uh, Rattay. Yeah. I've seen it all. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about Joe Montana. Why was Joe so cool? I mean, to me, what made him seem cool is that he was not like a physical titan and it wasn't about like just bombing the ball downfield. It felt and I know this is wrong, but it felt accessible. (laughs) It felt like, man, if I were just like a little bit, if if everything for me were just slightly different. I could be that guy. I mean, you a little need- Steph Curry like, yes, sort of Steph Curry like where there's like, look, oh, it's not like impossible right. to be, it's not impossible right. to be this. If I, maybe if I practiced right. every single day, all the time spent, you know, no time eating, drinking, sleeping, or talking to anyone else, <laughs> I could be some version of that. And so that part of it was really cool to me as a kid. Right. It's also, there's a certain type of quarterback and this has persisted all the way through where, the reason that they're able to excel the way that they excel is because, frankly, they have a certain airheadedness to them that allows them to not get distracted mm. by basically anything except by what they have to do. Tom Brady is the exact same way. Tom Brady is an inherently inane human being. And Joe Montana was equally vacuous. So he was the kind of guy, and there's a famous story, where there's some, you know, they have a critical drive, and he's in the huddle with his teammates. And you know he looks in he looks in the stands and he's like, hey guys, is that John Candy in the stands? And like the whole huddle just starts breaking up laughing. And then they go and they win the game because that was like, that was Joe Montana. Like he wow. he was just empty headed enough for it to not be affected. Because if you are a rational person and you're a sane person and you're sitting back there in the pocket, 
You're like, oh, holy shit, 300-pound linebackers are going to come kill me. Like, You're telling me that if Joe Montana was playing right now, he would also be invested heavily in crypto? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but Montana and Wayne Gretzky and I think it was John Elway, they had a, something called MVP.com yeah. like right yeah. after they retired. And it was like, it wasn't what? crypto, but it was like, it may as well. MVP.com. <laughs> It failed. (laughs) Oh, goodness. We'll be right back after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. So I kind of want to get into now the current ownership. We've teased at it a little bit. But Drew, I'm wondering, maybe you can tell us what exactly happened in the late 90s that led to Eddie's sister taking over. And then maybe we can get Michael's opinion on it after. Yeah. So what happened was Eddie DeBartolo bribed a Louisiana official to get a riverboat gaming license. So what's Uh, the problem? Yeah, right. Like as 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 scandals go these days, right? That's, that's what we pretty, were talking about earlier. Like, yeah, what are we talking about? That's a Tuesday for Donald Trump. It's nothing. <laughs> and by the way, Trump would end up pardoning. The yes. yes. But Barlow would get convicted for it. The NFL said you can't own your team anymore because that's very naughty of you. Wow. Denise de Barlow York went over, essentially took it over. Jed York. Meanwhile, Marge Schott was owning the Reds during this time. Right? This is correct. That's right. <laughs> so then... The wow. women that we have to look up to in sports is just is not great. It's just like, I feel like most team owners that are women is like someone either got shot or like was arrested and then they gave it to their sister or daughter. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Or she's 106 years old. Like the <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, so Drew. anyway, Denise takes over a stewardship of the club, uh, puts her son Jed in charge of it. Jed moves the team from Candlestick Point to Santa Clara. If you're from San Francisco, you know that Santa Clara is not San Francisco and it's aggressively not San Francisco. <laughs> like it it's, you know, it I think it's, you know, 30 miles as the crow flies, but you know, you factor in traffic, it's it's a million miles away. Wow. They build Levi Stadium. They build it at the exact wrong angle so that half the stadium in the afternoon gets absolutely withering heat. It is a fucking <laughs> frying pan. But more than that, um, you know, once they moved to Santa Clara, they instantly started feuding with the city. Santa Clara said, okay, well, you know, we get X amount of revenue for non-game events and we're not going to pay a certain amount 
of public infrastructure, police, and all that stuff for your games. The Niners sue them. They're in litigation for, for years, for years, and they finally settled. But by the time they've settled, and this was reported uh, by my colleague Dennis Young in June of this year, the Niners are so tired of dealing with Santa Clara, they decided, you know what? Let's just take over the town instead. So they have a majority of people they have backed on the city council. Wow. Uh, they tried to oust the mayor of Santa Clara. They're trying to oust the police chief. What? So they they have done more than just take up residence in Santa Clara. They have tried essentially to run it and have been successful in some regard. Oh that's my insane. God. I got to tell you, Drew, this that's is insane. fucking depressing as hell. <laughs> Dude, it was... Yeah, you, rethink that's your That's why fandom. you had me on, wasn't it? <laughs> I, By the way, if it's any consolation, like most NFL teams, when they pull this shit... They go on to suck because they've gotten what they need. They got the stadium. They're like, fine. What, we don't have to like try anymore. To the Niners' credit, they actually still win football games. Right. And that's usually all that people pay attention to anyway. Were folks shocked that Eddie DeBartolo didn't come back to run the team? I mean, I remember that being shocking to me, even like not knowing, again, not knowing really anything Same. about that. I mean, even Jed has said when the team was struggling really badly – Drew, maybe you might remember this better than I do, but I believe there was a press conference where someone basically said to him, you're like, you're firing coaches. You suck. Why shouldn't you be fired? And he was like, you can't fucking fire the owner. That's why. And I think that's. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I think that's basically the <laughs> attitude that like even fans have about owners. Like no, no matter what happens, it's like that's the guy who owns the team and there's nothing we can do about it. So it was shocking to see that Eddie could somehow be ousted at all. I didn't think that was possible. The other thing you need to know about Eddie is that in 1992, he was accused uh, by a woman of sexual assault, uh. and that never went to trial, but Eddie settled. So mm -hmm. you know, make of that what you will. Hey, Nicole, you're just noting that Eddie has denied all wrongdoing, but it bears repeating, make of that what you will. Okay. I will make of that uh, that he I is guilty of sexual assault. Yeah. That's what I will make I, of it. I don't, so we're not talking about... Oh, riverboat license. He likes to party. Fun guy. Like, yeah. Go, yeah, riverboat license is kind of a fun crime. Like, that's a crime where you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a Paul Schrader movie. That's cool. <laughs> I've got a question because, and I watched all of Ozark, and I still have no, well, why Why are riverboat casinos like such a thing? Does anyone here know the I can to tell that? you. Okay, thank I, you. I, I think I can. I used to frequent the riverboat casinos oh. because you could only gamble in Atlantic City or Vegas and there were no NBA teams in either of those cities. But when you would go to some cities like Chicago, you could go to a place like Peoria, Illinois that had a riverboat. You would go onto a boat, they would leave the dock like 10 feet and stay 10 like feet from hole. shore for like three hours. So that you could gamble on the water. That's international yeah, waters. Anything, international anything goes. Waters. <laughs> Maritime law. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. We all know yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. I think those uh, started to become pretty lucrative in the 90s and early 2000s because gambling hadn't blossomed into what it's become. My Are you telling me NBA players gamble? A little. <laughs> little I'm sorry. A little bit. Not, not really My favorite part of the whole riverboat thing, too, is that he gave him the like entire $400,000 in crisp $100 bills. <laughs> that's like first a, class. That lets you know. <laughs> that's, that they weren't dirty guy. bills. Yeah, that's the that's kind right. of franchise he runs. <laughs> like if it, like he'll give it to you in an attache case, not like just a CD duffel bag. Like mm. he's really, he's thoughtful. Yeah, about. it's not the Browns where they would have paid you in like a sack of nickels. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Nice. Suck it, Browns fans. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, do you think, I mean, uh, if he did come back, if Eddie did go back to running team, do you think they would have won more Super Bowls? What does that alternate reality look like to you guys? I mean, in my mind, I think it's possible that they would have been. I don't know if they would have won more Super Bowls. I think they would have, but I also think they would have been better. Like, I think, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think pretty soon after the Yorks take over, the franchise is in turmoil for several years, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because then they fire Steve Mariucci, which was always crazy to me, because in my mind, I don't know how good of a coach he was by the by the X's and O's, but it always felt like he did not have a roster, and yet that team was always good somehow. And then that's Dennis Erickson and Mike Nolan. So it's like it almost couldn't have been worse than what happened after Eddie stopped running the team. Well, the other thing is once they finally hired Jim Harbaugh, you could say in an alternate reality, they don't end up firing Jim Harbaugh because the reason Harbaugh left wasn't because of his record, which was Sterling. He left because he and Jed York and the GM Trent Baalke did not get along. And I'm sure Jed had more to do with that than Trent did. But if Harbaugh stays... And maybe Colin Kaepernick stays. Maybe mm-hmm. they, they win titles. That's not a guarantee. Sure. But, you know, it, it, it certainly, it's possible. Um, but the other thing is that they are in a good place right now. They mm-hmm. have good leadership. They win football games a lot, even when they shouldn't. So I don't know that it would be all that different. You know, you're really just getting different shades of shitbag. So I'm not really sure. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I don't think there's a definitive answer to that question. But sure. that's, you know, the fun part of sports is doing what ifs until, right, until right, right. the games actually begin. And you can just talk about what is. Of course. <laughs> uh, okay, getting into some inside football stuff. What can you guys tell us about the Alex Smith draft? I mean, I remember as a fan knowing that that draft was coming up and sitting in a bar with my friends and being like, I guess that's who we're going to take. <laughs> Cause it's like, you kind of, you know, when your team is like this and you need a quarterback, you just take whatever guy is there. That's what always happens. And I always liked Alex Smith. I felt he got a raw deal. I felt like the kind of player where it's like, if you hadn't been drafted into the absolute black hole that the 49ers were right. at that time, you might've had a totally different career. It seemed like, at least from a fan perspective, a guy with a great attitude, played really hard, maybe wasn't like the absolute best technically or skill-wise, but had some great moments. And if he had been on a team that wasn't in turmoil, could have been better. Oh, and the other thing that, just for the audience, the top of that draft that year, the prognosticated top two picks were Alex Smith and, of course, Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers from the Bay Area, Mm -hmm. played at Cal, wanted to go to the 49ers. Uh, and fell all the way down into the 20s where the Packers drafted him. His coach ended up being Mark, Mike McCarthy, who was the offensive coordinator of the 49ers at the time Smith was drafted, and Rodgers held that against Mike McCarthy all the way throughout his time in Green Bay. <laughs> so, Wow. And that is still the case now where 49ers fans, and Michael, you might disagree, I don't know, but I, I think they are still constantly waiting for them to make a final move and bring in a quarterback to be the final piece of the puzzle. As a fan, I'm, I may be different from a lot of <laughs> Niners fans in that I'm always rooting for whatever shit ass quarterback we have. Like whatever <laughs> dog <laughs> fart doo doo head we got That's rolled out right. there. I'm always like, this is the guy, Jimmy Garoppolo. Right. No, Jimmy Garoppolo is honestly in, in the on the spectrum of 49ers quarterbacks. Lately, Jimmy Garoppolo is way up at the top, but mm-hmm. I am always optimistic. Like I. Man, I think Brock Purdy can do it. Let's just keep that guy healthy. You ride the way with he your was guy. playing, I he's like unbelievable. It. And if it's Trey Lance, I'm all for Trey Lance too. I, I'm not like we got to clear up the QB controversy, any of that. I'm like, let's just if we can get keep a guy healthy. 
from start to You're finish. You're the best kind of fan. That's what I You're tell people. You're the best people. kind of fan. You are. You ride with your dudes. Absolutely. I, I do I do think that's kind of the best kind of fandom. It is. I gravitate more toward that now. Like the fans of my team who are like, we're going at all. It's like, you know nothing. <laughs> you don't know pain. <laughs> <laughs> but now I just rather be like, we're going to go. Let's yeah, go, team. Like I'd rather just be blind the faith. local. Blind faith. I wouldn't say that I have right? faith in them exactly, but I am cheering. For, I'm rooting for them. You know what I mean? Right, I think there right, are fans. Yeah. Like, I'm also a Knicks fan, for example, and Ooh, I oh, yeah, love sorry. the Knicks, Ooh, but wow, I'm also geez. rooting frequently against them because I yeah. I hate them at the same time. I don't feel that way about the That's, 49ers. Like, I'm a pure. You want to talk about a shitty owner. <laughs> yeah. Could do a spinoff yeah. episode. Oh, hey, check goodness. out the limited series that actually came out before this podcast started. All about James Dolan, guys. Check it out. No, seriously. It's called Reign of Error. It's five parts, all about James Dolan, and it's hosted by NPR's David Green. Also, I'm in it, so check it out. So that's actually a good segue, though, talking about quarterbacks and stuff like that. It feels weird to discuss the 49ers, not get into the whole Colin Kaepernick of it all. How did the team owners, Jed, I think, was at the helm at the time, handle the situation? Is there anything that Jed could have done to, you know, make anything better? It's tough because he was the one who spoke out in support of Kaepernick after he had been. Yeah, after. <laughs> no one will say he was blacklisted. He was blacklisted. Right. But at the same time, the reason that the Niners released him, I am convinced, was not because of his protest. They released him because he, that season, he had played very, very poorly. And they knew that they needed to transition to a different quarterback. They let him go. And I think they let him go with the expectation that another team would pick him up. When they didn't, I know Jed made a statement in favor of Colin at some point, in support mm -hmm. of Colin. Yeah, he did. But, you know, he never brought Colin back into the fold. Right. Exactly. So, right. you know, take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I, know, I, I remember specifically he said something like, you know, like, show me a place in the world where taking a knee is like viewed as some horrible right. crime. He's like, you right, can't do it. There's right, no place. Right. He's just trying to draw attention to something that is actually bad that no one would argue is not bad. I think on the other, and he wasn't even doing that in the beginning. Colin was taking a knee. Nobody noticed until right. like midway through that season. Yeah, and, and I do yeah, think at one point yeah. Jed came out and said something to the effect of he didn't believe that Colin was being blackballed. That's kind of the other side of that. Mm -hmm. But it is, I do think, a thing that 49ers fans and football fans don't inject into the conversation enough, particularly people who are progressive like myself is that Colin was playing kind of badly. Not yeah, not worse was. than 32 starting quarterbacks. Not right. not worse <laughs> no not question. badly enough to not be in the league. That's just it. He wasn't extraordinary when he got blacklisted, but he was employable. And yes. the problem oh, yeah. with the blacklisting was that it was NFL teams and NFL mouthpieces insisting that he was not one of the 80 best quarterbacks in America, which was wrong. Absurd. It was incorrect. Any, anyone with a, with eyes could have seen it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. All right. Well, kind of want to wrap some stuff up with some fun questions, some hypotheticals here. So as we discussed in 2020, Donald Trump granted DiBartolo Jr. a presidential pardon for the whole casino extortion thing. Um, if you could give one NFL player, coach or owner or whatever, a presidential pardon for something they did on the field, what would you do? Oh, wow. Nice question. Ooh. Thank That's you. tough. That is tough. That's <laughs> tough. I'm glad you said on the field, by the yeah. way, because I didn't want <laughs> someone to be yes, like, well, great like to open that <laughs> <laughs> 
Your favorite crimes. Uh, Let's go. I actually, <laughs> I have, I, I do have an answer. The my answer is Scott Norwood of the Buffalo Bills. Um, ah, very good. Because he he's the one who missed the. I was not rooting for them in the Super Bowl against the Giants, where he missed the kick that would have won them the game. Yeah, but it ruined his life. And it did. you know, I would I would prefer his life not be ruined. He was just a kicker. That's okay. Um, nice. okay. Good call. Hey, I guess I, just because we're on the topic of the Niners, I think I would say this is usually something credited to Richard Sherman, but I feel like Crabtree could have caught that. I feel like he, uh. I feel like he could have caught it. Jumping in here, Michael's referring to an infamous moment in 49ers history. Some people call it the tip. Some people call it the immaculate deflection. And this all takes place during the 2013 NFC Championship game. So it's the final seconds of the game and the 49ers are losing to the Seattle Seahawks by six points. But the 49ers have the ball, and if they score a touchdown with the extra point here, they win the game. They're on the 18th yard line, and 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick throws the ball to wide receiver Michael Crabtree in the end zone. It looks like Crabtree is going to catch it, but Richard Sherman on the Seahawks deflects it into the hands of Malcolm Smith, and it's an interception. The Seahawks win the game, head to the Super Bowl, and eventually take home the coveted Lombardi Trophy. And I, 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 I feel like, honestly, that ruined that guy's career. Because it is one of those things where, Drew, you were talking about dudes being like airheaded and kind of vacuous. And I think you need that sort of total unawareness of what the world is. Yeah, and when Richard Sherman takes that ball away, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I understand who I am now. I'm not <laughs> I'm not the guy that I thought I was. Like your whole sense of self is gone. And I wish I could oh. give that back to him. Oh. And not only that, oh, remember, remember Sherman's nice. interview with Aaron Andrews uh, yeah, afterward? Yeah, I do. When he cut, when he cut a wrestling promo, and he's like, "You put a star receiver like Crabtree on me." <laughs> oh, like, that's was, brutal. He just absolutely fucking just annihilated him. Another question for you guys: The 49ers played at Notorious Candlestick Park, as we've talked about. Which did some research. Seems like the wind chill was always like minus a thousand degrees. Uh, did either of you ever see a game there? If so, how did you recover from the hypothermia? I have not. I have never seen a game there, so I'm passing oh, it directly to Drew. Really. No, what? No, I haven't either. So now we've, Get really, out. we've ruined the entire podcast. You have. So. No way you guys have never been to Candlestick to see a ball game. I have really? not. I, no. I've seen the Niners play uh, in Philly. I've seen them play the Giants, but I've never been to Candlestick. Well, then I'll just tell you some facts. I read about it uh, <laughs> where they installed these heated pipes below uh, the seats to heat everything, but the pipes were too small and in too much cement. So then they like couldn't heat anything. <laughs> The wind chill came from one side. So they were like, okay, let's build a bigger wall to keep all the wind out. And instead that made the wind come from every side and made it impossible because they also played baseball. The the Giants played there and uh, no one could catch anything. It was like a disaster. It was like always foggy and weird. That famous heat conductor that is cement. We all (laughs) love to warm our hands (laughs) on a block of cement. Um, uh, one final question for you guys. Uh, Eddie Jr., known as a Godfather 49ers, as we said, was it a huge missed opportunity that he didn't go back to the 49ers after the extortion charge and say, like, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in? (laughs) Thoughts? I'm sure he gave it a shot. I'm sure he went to... The ginger hammer and was like, Roger, can you let me back in? And the Roger was like, Well, I don't, I don't think that's right for the shield. It is. It's still the same family, right? Like it's still. It's, yeah. It's still. It's yeah. Still, it's the same asshole. Like it's just like it's the same bloodline. It's just a different name. Like it feels like they they've gentrified yeah. themselves. The ginger hammer. Should we be? <laughs> 
giving more like these Nepo baby owners, should they be getting more criticism? Or do you think, you know, these dynasty families keep it in the family? I think people who have a net worth upwards of $1 billion should be constantly <laughs> criticized. There's okay. a, <laughs> yeah, regardless yeah, yeah. of where yeah. it you came inherited from. inherited your team? <laughs> like, it's not the same as like the old days where it was like, oh, it was founded in a meatpacking facility and you know, like, oh, like. You inherited it. No one gives a shit about you. Like, <laughs> go away. Yeah, I think the best case for ownership in almost every kind of sports is that no one ever fucking talks about you once. You don't talk about yourself. Yeah, they shouldn't know. Nobody talks they about should not you. know who you are. Like, that's it. You cut the check and you shut don't the Don't pretend fuck up. that you know anything about this. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end on. <laughs> that's <a> good... <laughs> Fans, man. Fans are tough. Fans are tough. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. Got anything to plug? Um, I, yeah, distraction. Yeah. Oh, no, you, Drew. No, Michael, you, you, you get to plug. No, me. you, Drew. You. Oh, <laughs> you know. Uh, the distraction is Defectors <laughs> Podcast. We uh, we air once a week. It's me and host David Roth. We talk about sports and other crap, too. It's very fun. And uh, I've got a one-man show that I did at uh, the Audible Theater in New York City, and it's going to be coming out on Audible in September. It's called Sorry for Your Loss. And uh, while I'm talking, I'll also say that, uh, depending on when this comes out, the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild are both on strike right now. Support the Writers and Screen Actors Guild however you can. Thank you so much. Well put. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thanks so much. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you Thanks for having me. It's time for the Owned Post Game Wrap-Up, brought to you by Dentine Ice Arctic Chill. Just kidding, we have no sponsor. Please sponsor us. All right, now we have all the information, and it's time to ask uh, the boys in the booth if uh, and me if we all think we could do a better job. Rex, mm. do you think you could do a better job than the DeBartolo family at running the San Francisco 49ers? I do not. Okay. You know, the 49ers from my childhood, or at least my middle school, high school, those guys were the bomb. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the 80s, Eddie DeBartolo Jr. was the man, and I feel like kind of a visionary. You know, he tried to get out in front of the gambling thing. You can't watch football now without knowing the point spread. Everybody, he was was trying to get into gambling then. He was just ahead of his time. I could not. They've killed it. The whole family's killed it. Harry, uh, from San Francisco, could you do a better job running the 49ers? I could not. I I think that, you know, five Super Bowls solidifying San Francisco Mm. as title town— like oh, it, right. it's just okay. what yeah. what cut the, off his mic, cut off his mic, cut off his mic. What the DeBartolo family has done is amazing. The one thing I want to say that the cherry on top of all of this is that the 49ers have one of the best. You know when a team is really good and they have like a a song about them, like mm-hmm. uh, something like that. The Niners have one called Bang Bang Niner Gang. <laughs> which is like the coolest stop. version of that Please song. Please stop. And I, I think the the York uh, DeBartolo family uh, uh, is in part to thank for that. So you're such a Bay Area homer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. and not biased. Could you do better job than some of the I hate to pump Harry up. I mean, oh he's God. insufferable <laughs> enough as it is. But, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, the, the results speak for themselves, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Abu, well producer, could you do a better job? I love to be able to say yes, say I could do better. So I wish we could focus on just Denise so I could <laughs> I could have that win. But yeah. unfortunately, we've got to do a family holistically. I'm going to have to say no. All right, all right, fair. Nicole, you know Nicole, what? You. Fuck all you guys. So cow for life. <laughs> I could do better. <laughs> Screw
Screw San Francisco. Everything about Bakersfield sucks. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, probably not. Uh, I will remain ambiguous in my answer. Okay. All right. But I do have a question for you, Rex. Yeah, really. Have you ever taken an ice bath? Yes. Love the ice bath. Really? Yeah, the ice bath is it's, it used to be an essential part of training camp. I mean, really? yeah, you just I, I can remember so being cold. the first couple of days of training camp and every joint, every little microfiber in your leg is burning and sore and you just been firing muscles in training camp that you haven't fired in quite a while cuz you're playing live basketball. Yeah. And you just start craving the ice bath. Really? Craving the ice bath. And because you spend two or three, four days just locked up where your body isn't working, it's just hurting. And you get in that ice bath after practice, sit in there. It's a little sketchy at first, but you just mind over matter. If you don't get where you like ice baths and putting ice on your body, icing your ankle in a Gatorade bucket full of ice water, not Gatorade. If you don't get where you like that stuff, you're probably not going to play very long because you have to ice. You have to ice if you're a professional athlete. Just have to. So yeah, I've taken it. I enjoy it. I don't do it every day, but you know, I could. No, I couldn't. Uh, it's it's hellish, but it's necessary. Okay, well, there goes my chances of being a professional athlete. <laughs> Another in the con column. <laughs> Ice baths are good for you. You're listening to Owned from Smartless and Campside Media. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Owned early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and go tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Rex, who produced this episode? Owned is a co-production of Smartless Media and Campside Media. The managing producer is Harry Krinsky, with additional producing by Lane Gerbig. Nicole Boyce is our co-host and writer-producer. Abu Kamara is our associate producer. Engineering by Claire Mullen. Studio engineering by Ewan Leitremuen. Fact-checking by Gray Lanta. Josh Dean and Mark McAdam are our executive producers. Additional support by Emma Simonoff, Doug Slaywin, and Ashley Warren. The executive producers at Campside Media are Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. At Smartless Media, the executive producers are Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, Richard Corson, and Bernie Kaminsky. The talent producer is Ann Harris. Maddie McCann is the associate producer. From Wondery, this is Black History for Real. I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Conscious Lee. What do most people think about when they hear the words Black History? Rosa Parks, Reconstruction, MLK, February, Black History Exactly, exactly. There are so many stories of Black History that we just are not really talking about or thinking about, especially outside of February. And we are about to flip the script on all of that. Because on this show, you're going to hear a little less... In August 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And a little bit more. She is a heroine to some, as a fighter for black rights. She is a villain to others. Follow Black History for Real on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen everywhere on February 5th, or you can listen early and ad-free on Wondery Plus starting January 29th. Join Wondery Plus on the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Black History.